Hi everyone, this is Sarah McFarlane from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Lauren Woody, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. Matt Morris, an assistant professor at the University of Kansas Medical Center. They both joined us for a webinar on applications of rodent metabolic phenotyping with the focus on metabolism, diet, and energy expenditure in mouse models. Let's dive in. Our first question here is for Lauren. Lauren, someone has asked, why did you just use male mice? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, especially given Dr. Morris's talk. Female mice are obviously important, seeing as female humans make about 50% of the population. So we, that was a tough call, and it, it really came down to the fact that we were, we were trying to measure rhythmicity, and it would have become a real monster of a study if we would have also had to take into the account take into account female reproductive cycling. So they cycle about, you know, every five days or so. And the amount of, we, we actually thought about it, but the amount of controls that we would have had to add to our study just became, it became a monstrous study. So unfortunately we had to scale back and just look at the males at this point. But I certainly believe adding, having another study just looking at females is a really valuable direction to go next. So we observed this phenotype in males. I would love to see if it stood up in females as well. Great. Thanks for that answer. And this next question here is for Matt. Matt, do you think the smaller size of the female mice was involved in the observed energy metabolism data? So, yes. To bring up another issue in indirect calorimetry of mice, you know, differences in size. So how do we, the, on, the, the current accepted models to use analysis of covariance to describe animals of different size? And while I did that in the paper, one of the problems that I've been trying to discuss with others is do you do when you're comparing males to females and they're different size, do you covariate by their body weight or covariate by sex? Because they're so different that is the fact that they're female the reason they're smaller and so therefore you should use sex or just use the most basic you know outcome and the fact that they're smaller. So if we, if we do have analysis of covariance in this case, of uh, like total energy expenditure, the females actually have a greater weight adjusted theme, uh, energy expenditure, which others have shown. And that's not to- terribly surprising. But other things like the 20C mice, the smaller females, have one of the reasons they have higher weight adjusted energy expenditure potentially is because of their smaller size compared to the males. They have greater conductance or heat loss. So they're having to work harder to maintain their core temperature. I didn't measure that. That's just speaking out there. But yes, it, it's very complicated because not only are they not the same size, but then the entire you know, difference of males versus females. Right. That makes sense. Cool. Great answer. So we're going to move on to our next question now. This question is for Lauren. Lauren, mice seem to be more dietary specialists than rats who naturally consume more sweet things. Would rats be a good model to examine these patterns? Yeah, rats, rats would also work as well. So what we were trying to do here was 
compare some of our results to the literature, particularly findings from Sachin Panda's lab, where they noticed that TRF of the Western diet could reverse or protect against some of the metabolic outcomes of a West of the solid high fat diet. So they used mice there. And so we followed up and continued to use mice in our studies. But certainly rats, rats would be a great model, especially, you know, also if you ever wanted to do any type of behavior analysis, they perform much better. So yeah, we chose mice to fit with the literature so our results would fit, but rats would certainly work as well. Okay, great. That does make a lot of sense. So we have another question here. Um, Matt, this question is for you. We have, you mentioned that fecal energy losses could be useful to quantify. Do you think that it's possible that differences in fecal energy losses could differ among different classes of macronutrients, for example, lipids, fats, and carbohydrates? Yes. I think we, not only would we would we end up doing straight fecal energy loss? We'd probably also be extracting at least lipids. I have at least a background in that <laughs> extraction of lipids. So we'd be able to tell whether the lipids were different. I'd have to get into, I think lipids would be the primary component that we'd be seeing if things were actually changing. I could be entirely wrong there, but yeah, I'm just really excited to move forward with that idea so that we're, because I think Maybe sometimes what we count is, I I think sometimes the energy balance difference that that is real life is not nearly as dramatic as we show sometimes. So I'm I'm really interested in moving forward with that. And, And there's been some papers recently about the idea that fecal energy loss could be an adaptive response. So we have to... In energy homeostasis. So I think it's going to be a really important part of our research as we move forward. Great. Some cool future steps for you guys. This next question is for you, Lauren. The question is, can you speculate on a mechanism for the drastic differences in total energy expenditure between the early versus late sugar drinkers? For example, could these differences be caused by differences in activity levels or in body temperature? Yeah, so I can't speculate on body temperature because we do not have that capability in our metabolic phenotyping system. But one of the supplementary figures for that paper looked at activity and VO2 because the Weir equation is used to calculate the energy expenditure that I showed you guys. And baked into that is is activity and VO2. So when you see differences in energy expenditure, you think, okay, what's actually going on with those two parameters as well. So we looked at those thinking maybe, you know, the animals are getting super excited that they're about to get sugar water. It's exciting and it's tasty. That was not the case. They, the EFG animals did not have increased activity before their sugar water and neither did the LFG animals. So they weren't changing their behavior or patterns of activity, but the VO2, uh, the VO2 followed patterns of energy expenditure. So the EFG had higher VO2 during the first six hours and lower during the last, and the LFG had lower during the first and higher during the last. So this timing of liquid sugar was really changing the metabolic patterns of the animals and thereby altering energy expenditure. So that was really interesting. So it was truly a a metabolic shift rather than behavioral changes uh, behind the energy expenditure. Great. So Matt, this last question for you is, did the difference in ambient housing temperature impact feeding behavior? The answer to that question is 
No, for the most part. The only thing that really changed, so the length of feeding bouts didn't change. The time between feeding bouts didn't change. The biggest thing that changed was the amount of food they ate per feeding bout. The 20C mice ate more every time they went to the hopper, but each of those feeding bouts was the same length as the 30C mice. So they, their rate of food intake was higher, but all the other behaviors were the same. In fact, went this morning and looked at light and dark cycle comparison, and they both ate the same percentage of food in the light and dark cycle on the low fat and on the high fat, high sucrose. So no, it didn't really change their patterns at all, which I think I was kind of surprised actually. So, but no, no, the actual patterns or behaviors weren't changed between the groups by sex or temperature. hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.